We're in a series, Shine. This is out of walking through the book of Philippians. And you ever been in the, out in the mountains or wait for all the street lights in the city and, you just, and you, you're being city folk? I grew up in Los Angeles outside L.A. I mean, I didn't know there were stars, I think, until I got out. And, and you, you look up, you get in a place where you're surrounded in darkness and the stars, and everyone says the same thing. I just cannot believe it. Look at that. You ever done that? Or gone and seen, been somewhere and seen the northern lights? Incredible sight. You've seen them. Few of you have seen them. It's a remarkable thing, and it's just shining in the darkness. And that's what Paul comes along, and he says it here at the very core of this series. He says, you know, you know what your call is, your identity? You are to be like shining stars in the darkness. You are to be like that. When people look up and they're just in awe of God in you. And he doesn't say it as a, something you get to. He, he claims it as a place of identity. This is who you are, Christian. You're a shining star in the midst of darkness. All right, it's a little dim right now. And he comes along and he talks to this church in this place called Philippi. And they're, they're missing the mark. They're not shining because they're in battle with each other. They're arguing over intellectual things that really amount to nothing, kind of like today. They're complaining and grumbling about things that aren't going their way or about the leadership or whatever. They're just grumblers. And, and all that, they're just missing their role and the mission. And Paul comes along and says, I, in a loving way, I just want to adjust you. And I just sense that we all need that, don't we? We need, a, we need a adjusting. I've known runners. Some of you know marathon runners. Maybe some of you are. But the runners I meet, I know three of them. I can think of right away. that They, they run marathons, and they've done this for years. And when they're done with their run, uh, I'll ask them, like, how did it go? And they said, well, I, 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 I ran about as well as I could, and they're looking back, and, and always the same thing. Uh, I prepared. I followed my coach's instructions. Yet most of them have coaching after a while. They just they 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 had a regimen way before the run. They they had this discipline that they had to follow that involved not only when they ran and how far, uh, when they rested, and uh, what they ate. And and, and consistently, 100 percent. Not not one of them goes on a run to reach the end and, and stops along the way and complains about the course. They're not, they're not stopping and going, oh, man, this, this is, they got to be more like Boston because Boston's so much better than Orlando course. And, and they're, they're not looking and complaining about the hydration station or the, or the crowd along the way is just all a bunch of hypocrites, you know. You know, who wants them? I, I want to be around a better crowd next time. They don't do that. They just, they run because they, they want to get to the end in the fastest time possible and achieve the mission. And, and it, all runners reach a point where they don't want to go any further. And they've trained for that. They know that there's places where mile seven or wherever that is for them, that they've got to press through this to get to the other side. They've got to make it through. And some, they're in pain and they said, I, I'm just, this is just part of finishing the race and getting the prize at the very end is that there's going to be resistance along the way. 
and I'm not looking at the course or the crowd or the hydration station and all those things and how they did it. I just want to finish well. And that's what Paul's writing here is I just want you to finish well. Paul saw their battle and he knew that they got sidetracked and, and so he's just getting them back on. And so he talked last week about the way of getting back on is that our model is to be Jesus who, who came and though he uh, came as a man, he was fully God as well. And he didn't let the things of manhood of this world get in his way and, and he humbled himself. And even though he was God and could have smite everybody, instead he chose to, to suffer and, and to die uh, on our behalf, to be a hero. And there's, every time we take communion, it's a memorial service for what the Lord Jesus had done for us. And so he writes this and he goes on. He says, and he's going to get down to some media. He says, therefore, in Philippians 2.12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, and not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, he says this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work. And what he's really saying is, get to work. What he's saying, it's, it's work. Get to work. You're not working for something. You're working from it. You, God has already come and redeemed you by his grace. And he said, but that doesn't end there. Now there's a work to do. And, and so you got to work it out. Some of you, you, you know what it's like to work out. You go to the gym and you work out. And, and you know that when you're, putting resistance on, on muscle, that you're actually tearing it down. You're, you're actually hurting it. You're, you're breaking down in muscle fibers. But you do that because when you, when you break them down and you lose them, then other cells come and form that are thicker and bigger than the ones that you lost. And that's how you end up with muscle mass. I'm speaking as somebody that has a clue of what he's talking about. So okay. I know you're all looking and going, yeah, I don't think he, yeah. And he goes on to say this, and Paul is going to tell them, he says, so as you work it out, God is working in, just like God has designed the anatomy of the body, that when you work out and you lose it, he's got a system in place that is coming not only to build muscle strength, but to build bone health as well and core strength. He says, he, you work it out, and God's process works in you. And so he says it this way. For it is God who works in you. Isn't that comforting to know? That I don't have to do all this on my own. That I'm not left to be some kind of spiritual giant and shining star based on all my own effort. He says, no, you, you do your workout, and I'll work in. God works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He said, God will work it in that he's got a good purpose. Now, a lot of us in the last 20 years or so in the church have uh, been taught that, that somehow that God is here for your good purpose and not his good purpose. So because we're, we're committed to the truth here, we sang about that today, because we're committed to the truth, the truth is that, that you, those that are his, you're here for his good purpose. And all that happens is for his good. Not that along the way, good is going to happen to you because you're about his business because he's a good father. But it's really about his good and not your good. That's where Paul is coming from. And so Paul says that. 
he says, so he, he turns the corner here, and he says this, so if you want to be shining stars and you want God working in you, um, do everything without grumbling or arguing, without complaining, so that you may become blameless and pure. He's not talking about perfection here. He's not talking about some reaching the state of glowing righteousness. He's just saying so that you can shine brighter than the rest of the darkness, that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Do we even have to explain anymore what warped and crooked generation means? I think it's self-explanatory. And he's just saying, don't, don't do it. You ever work with a chronic complainer? I, hopefully that's not you. You ever work with it? You ever work with somebody? You just go, when you were at the work site, wherever that is, whether it's a construction site or at your place of business, your call center, it's that one person or two people that just loves to stir it up, right? And they just, and, and no matter how good management is or things are going for you, you got paid medical, you got paid time off, you got sick leave, no matter what it is, a bonus once in a while, no matter how good it is, they got something bad to say. And then when they get it, and, and we like that, our natural person, by the way, enjoys that kind of person. There's just something in our nature that just says, oh, tell me more. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, it's horrible here. I, I didn't know it was horrible here until you told me. But, but now that you've told me, come to think of it, it's horrible. And, and that person is like just dragging you down and takes morale down. And they're just sucking the energy and the breath out of the room, wherever they're at. And they say, you know, morale would be better, the fact is, if they weren't there. That's the truth. And the real truth is, it's just what Paul told the church. Exact same thing happens here. He's saying, that's what he's talking to them. He says, listen, if you would just, excuse the expression here, I know we don't say this, we tell our children don't do this. If you would just shut up and work, all these problems go away. If you would just do your work, just do your part, then none of this is going to matter to you. If you would just run your race and not look around at everything and compare to whatever, then it's going to be good for you, and, and you actually might enjoy it. Isn't that crazy? He said that this is how you become shining stars. And so he goes on to say, and we'll just read that in 2.6. He says, we read it last week, and then you'll become like stars. Stop grumbling, stop complaining, stay on the course, keep your eye, be working instead of doing the other stuff. Don't go around the people that are toxic. As you, he says, then you'll be like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. That's God. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ, listen to this, that I did not run or labor in vain. I love that because it makes me think that, that Paul was on a run and he didn't want it to be for nothing. He didn't want to get to the end of his life and say, why did I run like this? Stopped along the way and I, I got distracted and went down all these different roads and, and, and I, I, didn't, I barely finished or didn't finish at all. I so said, I don't want to run like that. I, I, I want to run in a way that when I look back, I look at you. That's what Paul's looking at the church, and he says, I just want to know that, wow, all of this heart and suffering and being poured out was not in vain. And you know what, brethren? We need a heart like that.
that we got a chorus to run. Amen. I had it. Now, it's good. We, we often think of the Apostle Paul. You may know him as St. Paul. We, we think of him as some, like, super mystical, special person. Listen, he had a side job. He, he had issues. He had financial problems. Sometimes he was so cold, needed to go somewhere to go get him a jacket. He had court dates like you guys do. Yeah. He had issues. Didn't have public defenders back then. He had travel and all the trials that come with it, and so maybe it wasn't TSA. He had worse. He dealt with all that stuff of the world, and he still was on a run. So he dealt with life, but yet he had to run. You ever look back on a gym membership that you had, let's say 2011, and you, you made it good this time, maybe three or four months, Right? And you, and you did it. Do you ever look back and think, like, what if I had stayed in the gym and continued my workout routine going back in 2011 and never stopped? What might it look like today? What might this look like today? You ever think like that? I do. You ever look back on your spending and the money you spent and some of it, you know, you squandered away and vacations and cars maybe you didn't need, and eating out, and expensive coffee. You ever look back on that and say, wow, if, I, if only I had kept 50% of that and invested it, what would that look like today? Because you're going to spend it some way. You're going to spend your life some way. You know where I got this revelation recently? It's like a simple guy. His name's Charlie. Charlie's a health and fitness guy, really good at what he does. And Charlie made this statement to me. It doesn't sound profound, but it had a profound impact on me. It just resonated, and I'm going to give it to you. Maybe it's going to have some traction in your life like it has in mine. Charlie said this. He says, Greg, you're going to spend this next year no matter what. You're going to spend it. He says, so let me ask you this. Looking back a year from now, how will you have wanted to spend it? I never looked back before. Like he went all the way to the end, to the prize that Paul went to, and he looked back and says, how, how do I want, how do I need to spend it in order to get the prize up here? Like a, like a marathon runner, they got coaching. They, they were seeing the finish line, but yet they, they had to look backward to know what it was going to take to get to the end. And I, I started to resonate in me to thinking like, I've spent a lot of years and a lot of time and frankly, frittered a lot of it away. You feel that way? But God willing, there's a lot of years left in us. How do you want to spend your years going forward? And Paul is giving them something to spend for. Goes on to say, I just jump in the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians 3. He says that there's really two types of work at the very end when we come to the very end of your life. You're going to have gold and silver, those things refined that are pure, or you're going to have wood, hay, and stubble. I'm going to have a lot of wood, hay, and stubble. But I hope in the whatever's left of this life that there's going to be a growing stockpile of silver and gold. He said it this way. He said, now if anyone builds on the, on the foundation of your life on the kingdom life with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. 
Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. That's the final day. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. He's talking to believers. He said, at the very end, it's all going to be refined in this fire. That's his metaphor. And at the very end, all this stuff that was meaningless, the wood, hay, and stubble, the things we grumbled about, the things we complained about, the things that we thought we could fix by, by being angry at them, all that stuff is just going to be gone. And all that's going to be left is how we ran the race. You might know the name, maybe not. If you're from Detroit, Michigan, you probably know it. Her name is Eleanor Gersitis. She's a very famous person in that area. She was a uh, stay-at-home uh, mom of five kids in 1962, 63. And on the television one night, she's watching this uh, news report coming in about the uh, brutality against the protesters in Selma, Alabama for civil rights. And she looked at that and she was aghast. She's just a housewife and she, she just, in her own mind, she thought, I, I, I I can't sit here any longer. I, I, I've been given a purpose in life, and my heart is breaking for that. And so she formed something called Focused Hope, and I think now today, she's passed away in 2011, but I think today it's got, you know, hundreds of employees and thousands of volunteers and donors, and, and she set it up to, to help people in the black community for those denied rights early on and to be supportive to women, to single moms, and, and now she's expanded that to, el to the elderly. And Eleanor did that, and she went on, got a degree. She's got, I think, six honorary doctorates, teaches, taught at the University of Michigan. But I like what she said. I've never forgot. I wrote this quote down years ago. I want to give it to you. She says, you have to have the guts to try something because you won't change a thing by sitting in front of the TV with a clicker in your hand. Now, she said that before there were phones. You won't change a thing by sitting in front and whining on Facebook. You won't change a thing by reading that, inventing over whatever that is. You're not going to change a thing by sitting there, she said, and she made a choice. Who is she? She had no credentials, no qualifications. She just had a heart to run for something. And she did. And God breathed on it in a very big way. If you're going to live life anyway, you might as well live it to please God. And he says it this way. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, in other words, in a real race that we're in, living the life of the kingdom of God, that everybody is running. But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. He's just appealing to him. He says, listen, someone's going to win, so why don't I not be you? And for the Lord, it's, of course, there's not one winner. We're all victorious, victorious. Jesus said, those who make it to the end. And we say, and we don't want to get to the end and do what he warned us in 1 Corinthians where he says some will just make it as going through the flames of fire. We don't want to be that kind of runner. We want to be a runner like Paul. 
who says, I, I, I just want to get to the very end and look back and know that I have run the best race that I can possibly race and that I have spent the hours that are given me and the resources and the time and the talent, spent them in such a way that advances his kingdom and his purpose and it's obedient to him. And he says it and he gives this caution in 1 Corinthians 9.25. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. He said, everyone who's running is going to go into training. They do it to get a crown that will, that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He says, listen, when you run, you run in such a way as knowing that at the very end of it, it's going to be worth it. And you will be delighted and rejoice that you had spent what you've been given on the thing that matters most in proclaiming and advancing the glorious name of Jesus Christ. However, the Lord has given you to do that, whatever your part. He says it's going to require training. I, I like our early church fathers as a group. You, you may know them. They were called the Desert Fathers third century in the 200s they were formed and you may know if your faith tradition is Catholicism you'll know somebody named Anthony or Saint Anthony he was the founder of that it was a founding of the monk or monastic movement and they were rebelling against the busyness of the day can you imagine how busy could you be without a cell phone and internet I don't know but apparently it was pretty bad that these guys said you know what we need to get rid of the distractions and we need to be focusing on God's kingdom and the solitary of our life and our relationship with him. So they started this thing. They called it the Desert Fathers. And I just like the one thing they said. And, it, and it's as true today as it was then. In parts of their wisdom, you can look up their wisdom writings, by the way. It's St. Anthony that says, you know, busyness is a moral problem. Busyness is a moral issue. It's moral laziness. And what he's saying is that being busy about the wrong things is really a moral problem. And, and so for us, and I'm speaking to us, this isn't talking down to you. We're talking together as family, right? And, and that all of us, I don't know what's ahead in this world. We do know that darkness and depravity are growing. I don't think there's, I think the facts speak for that but we don't want to run aimlessly. That those days are gone. Let's put them behind us. We do not want to be people who, who run the rest of whatever years we've got left on this earth, running, just hitting the air aimlessly. He said it this way, Paul says, therefore, I, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make... I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He said, I am not running aimlessly, running around, to and fro, taking these lanes all over that are good, not sin, good, but I'm missing the best. I'm missing what he wants me in, for my life. And then he goes on to say, as you say, no, I, I strike a blow to my body. In other words, I, I, I recognize that I need to embrace the fact that it's going to be hard. That as a runner, I am going to hit a place where I'm going to want to give up. But I will endure to the very end. And there will be falls along the way. 
There will be some pain along the way, but we will finish this race, and we are going to, brethren, we are going to finish it together. We are, and we're going to finish strong. And we're going to do that by all the things that he laid out for us. It doesn't start that way. In the Marine Corps, there's, when you go in as a recruit, you, you, you go in and you're nothing, you're a boot. You go in as boys and girls. And, and when you go through basic and three months at the end of your, your basic training and you're hating your drill instructor at this point, hating with a passion, with a, with a hate that no one could ever describe who has been there to tear you down in order to build you up. He's taking your muscle and he's just wearing it down so that those cells can reproduce and make you stronger, make you unified as one people. You go in as individuals. You come out of a united body. And at the, at the very end, the last thing they do is they do something called the crucible. It's 54 hours here at Paris Island in South Carolina. 54 hours six different exercises that they do, obstacles that they have to face, minimal sleep, bed at 11 o'clock. They're awakened by two or three in the morning. Their rations are cut down the next to nothing. They're given just enough to walk. They're given obstacles that are impossible to do on your own. They have to learn how to work together to help their fellow future Marines. But they're not Marines yet. And as they endure, they go along this course in this 54 hours and they're given citations to read, medals of honor, that they read of those that have gone before them. And they're inspired by that. For many, it's their hope of keep going on. It's, it's their apostle Paul. They look back at his life and says, he ran for the race and I want to run it too. And he did it, I could do it. I've got the same spirit in me that he had. And they run the race. They get to the very end, and it's not over yet. They have marched for 40 hours with a full pack. Their final march home before they can be called a Marine is uphill. Many of them are injured. Somebody has to come along and carry them along the way. You're not doing this alone. You're going to finish it together. Some of them maybe gave up along there. But for those who finished, looking at their DI who they never wanted to see again, the officers are waiting for them. A, a monument of Iwo Jima, of a great victorious battle in the past, is there and before that. Somebody goes to them. The eye or an officer they hated, and he takes the evil, the globe, and the anchor, and he puts it in their hand. Welcome to the Marine Corps. Marine, proud, you did well. You served well. You did it. And then, as they fight back the tears and they take bets on who's going to cry first, they're Marine forever. They get to eat now, and they're hungry. But they don't sit alone like they were when they were a boot. They sit at the table, and next to them now is their drill instructor. Now you don't call him sir anymore. You call him by his rank. 
and all the officers are sitting with you and you're invited to this table and you're one of them. That's the spirit Paul talks about. He says, he, God is, is inviting you to the table and then we're going to finish this crucible and there's going to be hard to embrace. But at the very end, there will be a banquet and we will eat at the table with the Lord Jesus himself. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. As he presses your new name on that white stone into you. That's who we serve. In this moment, we have the privilege of commemorating what Jesus did, the ultimate hero. The ultimate hero, he said, uh, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no greater love than to give your life for a friend. There's to lay down your life for your brother. And he set the example. He said, I, I'm, you're separated from God by your sin. But we're not going to let that get in the way of you having a relationship with the Almighty God. And so Jesus paved the way. In the past, they sprinkled blood, the priests did, over a mercy seat as a symbol of covering your sin, but the ultimate sacrifice was going to that cross. And he endured it all the way, and when he thought about giving up and said, Father, if you be your will, take this cup from me, he, he, he kept the cup. He, he kept the suffering. And he took your sin and mine on that cross. And he gave us this as an order from our CO, as an order that we will remember and commemorate the greatest memorial ever of what Jesus did in taking your sin and mine on the cross so that we could be forgiven and by grace through faith. And so we took the bread and at that table and that last supper and he broke it and he said, here, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat this in remembrance of me. Let this be a time of reflection and appreciation Think about your life now and you're going to spend your life anyway. How do you want to spend it? A week from now, a year from now, you'll have spent it. What do you need to spend it on to get where God has called you to be? What's your prize? Reflect on what the Lord has done for you. Receive his forgiveness. Thank him. There had to be a blood sacrifice, the symbol of life. There had to be a life in exchange for your life. Our life is broken and messed up, and there needed to be a perfect life in covering over our sins so that God could say, I will not remember it anymore. And so he took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Just take and drink. For all of you here that somehow you've, you've come to believe, like the most of the world that, if, that believe in God, that your relationship with him is based on your goodness. And I just want to tell you, you'll never be good enough for God. That's why he had to die. That's why we just drank a symbolism of his blood that we were covered over, our sin was covered over, and that he would desire that 
to have a relationship with you because he is madly in love with you. You are his creation. He has called you to himself. But you've got to confess that Jesus is the one and only God, the one and only. He's the only mediator between you and the Father. And when you stand before God, and everybody will, every single person will stand before God. That when he looks down, you need to have an advocate, somebody that will come for you, your defender, who will say, he's with me. Father, let him in. And if you want to do that, you need to confess that he is Lord, that he died on that cross taking your sins with him, that you are guaranteed life eternal because he rose again on the third day. And you can do that right now. I'm going to just pray, and if you want to pray with me, fine. Dear God, I, I confess that I have sinned against you. And that, Lord, I, I don't deserve it. But I believe that Jesus, that you're God, and that you rose on the third day, and that you died as my substitute, that you took the wrath for me. I receive you by faith alone. And I want to be in your family and turn my life over to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to sing a closing song and we're going to have prayer time. And so I just encourage all those that want prayer that you do not uh, walk away if God is nudging you like I prayed that prayer and I want to tell somebody or someone's nudging you because there's something in your life that you've been running after that you know is not for the prize that God wants you to get that, that you've been running after the wrong things you're in the wrong direction you don't know how to break that you, you don't know how to get back on track you lost sight of the course I would encourage you to bring that confession and have somebody pray for you down front would you all stand with me please this song is in honor of Therese Brown, she, who had asked that this song be played, and I can't think of anything more fitting than this, that we stand amazed. Our prayer is that this message series is making an impact on your life. Whether joining us online or in person, you are a valued member of our church community. And you can stay in the know by texting the word CONNECT to 954-923-8660. This will help keep you up to date on ways to engage and serve both online and in person. Everything we do at Lighthouse is in the context of Jesus' Great Commission, which we've summed up as in, up, and out. We are brought into restored relationship with God. We are now citizens in His kingdom under His authority. We then position ourselves to be raised up to spiritual maturity and to live out our Christian faith outside the walls of the church. This is the way God designed it, both for your protection and for his glory. Feel free to email me at care at lighthousecc.org. May God truly bless you with a greater knowledge and appreciation of him and his ways.